at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our November 1st, 2023 edition. Yep, just two more months left in the year. And then we wrap up the very interesting year of 2023. But our job, as always, is to help you navigate through the rest of this year and into the future. I'm Justin Klein, and today I'm going to do my best to help you become a better investor. That could be by expanding your understanding of different concepts, maybe it is bringing to light potential opportunities in the market, or simply understanding the risks, helping you understand the risks. You always have to Gather both sides of the argument, understand where your opportunities lie and your potential for loss, and not just nominally, but also on a real basis in a world where inflation is elevated from what we've been used to. This is a new regime, so you have to think about that aspect. You know, I think of it like a frog in a boiling pot. Right? If you put a frog in a boiling pot, if it's not that hot, they don't realize that you are boiling them. But at a certain point, you feel it hot enough, they feel it hot enough, and they will understand that they are in a boiling pot. And that hap- that's the same with inflation. Right? In a world of 1% to 2% inflation, disinflation, pre-pandemic, basically 80s, 90s, 2000s, up until the pandemic, pretty much, you've had a low inflationary environment. You haven't been feeling that boil. But now the heat's turned up and you start to notice it a lot more. And guess what? You'll be noticing it probably for a while over the long term. Now, you're always going to have cyclical ebbs and flows and we're going to discuss that. And I do think we get a continued cyclical ebb in inflation over the next, call it six to nine months. But in the big picture, which is vital to understand, you have to make adjustments, and that's what I'm here to help you do. Now, we're going to look at the market performance today. We're going to run out some show topics, but right after we answer this first caller question. Hey, guys. This is Art from Tucson calling in about a general dynamics company, GD, and they're an aerospace defense company, which uh, unfortunately, I have a high demand for their products in these times. I have a small position, and I'm wondering where I might want to pick up more, if at all, like your opinion on the company, where you see it going, and a, a good price point, if um, you could determine one. Thank you, and I'll listen on the podcast. All right. Well, technically, it has moved up recently, and it's been consolidating. And that consolidation has worked off in overbought condition. And so from a short-term perspective, this is the place where you'd want to buy it. That's 
a bull, what we call bull flag, where an up move and then sideways consolidation, sideways choppiness, that is an indicator that the next move will also be a continuation in the same direction. That's what consolidations typically manifest as. And so technically that's fine. Obviously we have the geopolitical concerns in the Middle East as well as in uh, Ukraine and General Dynamics, which is a defense contractor. uh, It's going to benefit from that. They make the M1 Abrams tank, for example, and the Stryker armored carrier personnel, as well as munitions. Now, they do also make the Gulfstream business jet. So if you go into a recession, is that going to be as much in high demand? I think that's a bit of a worry. So there's two sides to this. Near term, I like it. Near term. Because of unfortunately, the rising geopolitical concerns. Longer term, though, I have my qualms. Why? Because I don't think there's a lot of political will on either side of the aisle to engage in any, as much, I don't say any, as much military intervention as we have in the past due to what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan And just history of going into places and not having great outcomes and wasting trillions of dollars. And then you look at our fiscal situation. It is entirely untenable. And this is actually part of our webinar I'm going to discuss uh, next week is looking at our fiscal trajectory. And the big question will be is, will defense have a room going forward? Now, overall, defense as a percentage of the total budget and GDP has actually been shrinking as a percentage. In, in, agri- in nominal value, it's been going, it continues to go up. But it's been shrinking because the rest of it has gone up so much. But the question is, will defense spending be crowded out? Will there be less longer-term demand for tanks and aircrafts? And will it be more about cybersecurity, for example? And that's where I think the longer-term trajectory is. So near-term, fine, because of those geopolitical concerns. But longer-term, I don't like the fact that you... You have more backlash on commercial jets, right? Uh, corporations flying around, ESG concerns, etc., as well as that. But those long-term budget constraints that will will be put on, uh, I think, military spending. So uh, those are my takes, and that's why you have to look at different time frames. You can make a lot of money near term, uh, but lose a lot of money in the long term, and you and both can be correct. Okay. Now we have. A lot to cover over the next 45 minutes. My main focus point looks into this story. Banking sector overview. Is the financial sector uninvestable? And I'll talk about the financial services industry trends, mainly the banking industry and general financial news. And I'll offer a banking sector overview as well as touching on wealth education. All right. 
I also have some other topics on the docket. Remember I-bonds? Remember how excited people were to get their big I-bond yields last year? Well, as we discussed, those rates change. They're not locked in. They're locked in for six months, and then they're updated. And they just updated it today for the November through April period. And guess what? The payout increased a little bit. Not to where we were last year, but did increase. But there are two components, and we're going to break down what those components are and why you need to focus on both because a lot of people that bought those huge yielding bonds a year ago are maybe kicking themselves a little bit, and we're going to talk about why. Also, as we discussed on Monday, the announcement of the Treasury of how much they're going to borrow over the next two quarters, fourth and first quarter, was news. But the bigger news, not just the Fed announcement today, was the Treasury announcement of what parts of the curve are they going to issue debt over those two quarters. And that is going to have an impact on the yield curve and prevailing yields in the market. So we're going to look at that news. And then lastly, the Ozempic effect. What impact is it having not just on the medical industry, but also the food industry? So we're going to look at that and try to go back in history and say, is this reaction by the market justifiable? Okay. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on options trading, as well as Generac Holdings, GNRC. And I'll try to fit in an email question, as well as an iTunes review question as well. Now, let's talk about the market performance today. We had the Fed day, and as expected, the Fed did not raise rates. But as usual, it's not about what they do on Fed day. It's never about what they do. Even if they raise rates, they lower rates, that's 99.9% priced in. It's about the message going forward. Now, in today's world, it's less even about the message, the prepared message, Market typically doesn't move on that. Usually moves on the press conference. And when Jerome Powell gets asked questions by reporters, and he gives more nuanced answers. And this really came near the end of the Q&A session. And it was an interesting take. Well, an interesting take if you took the prepared remarks at face value. But basically what he said near the end was the risks are becoming more balanced, meaning we're not just solely focused on inflation risk and we're not thinking about not thinking about whatever, right? What did he say? We're, we're not thinking about thinking about lowering interest rates, something like that. Basically saying cuts were off the table. Now, what he did say is, a rate hike is far more likely at the next move or for the next move than a rate cut. But the rhetoric after made it pretty clear that the Fed's done, right? That the risks will continue to get more balanced, are getting more balanced. And guess what? The economic data, which had the ADP number came out today, and that was pretty weak for the jobs number, that will continue to get more balanced. And therefore, when you have a balanced risk, you're not going to raise rates again. 
you're going to wait to see if the downside of that balance plays out or we get a reacceleration to the upside in economic activity, but which is unlikely to happen. So it's pretty clear the Fed is done raising rates and now the market is pricing in a potential May rate cut. Right. And that's what rallied markets overall. Now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest Talk Classroom series. It is streaming for free now on our YouTube channel. Episode 12 is up and it's titled Investment Strategies for Short Selling Stocks. There are opportunities in every market, and sometimes it's not what you buy, but instead what you sell. And that's where the opportunities can be. <clears throat> now, it's common practice for institutional investors, but most individual investors overlook that strategy. All right, let's learn more about the Invest Talk. Uh, the investment strategies for, for short selling stocks, just search the InvestStock Classroom over on YouTube. And then the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next InvestTalk Wealth Webinar, Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. How could the next recession differ from previous events? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, when people take the time to leave an Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to the questions quickly. John K. from Georgia says, I'm 25 and learned so much from the show. I have a question on T. Rowe Price. What would be a good price to buy it at? It's gotten beat up recently, and their balance sheet indicates they have very little debt. And that's certainly true. However, that's not the only reason you buy something, just because they have low debt. It's really a business that is going to highly correlate with asset prices because that's what they invest in and they take a fee on that. And there's money flowing out of these more active funds. And so longer term, they have some headwinds against them. Um, and if you look at earnings estimates, they continue to come down going forward. They're supposed to make they supposed to make $6.68 next year, down from $12.75 in 2021. So based on that number, I don't think it's cheap enough yet. So I'm passing despite the lack of debt. All right, we're going to a break. Please remember that you can call anytime. Leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via the live stream or, or on AM1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888 chart One of the 
the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my main focus point looks into this story. Banking sector overview is the financial sector uninvestable. And what this does is it highlights a big Wall Street veteran, Steve Eisman, and his main points of why banking right now is uninvestable. Now, his concerns are rooted not in credit issues, but just the business model. Rising interest rates are putting pressure on profitability, which is atypical. Typically, rising rates are better, meaning they can lend at higher rates and you have a steep yield curve and you're borrowing short and lending long. That's what banks do. But now with an inverted yield curve, there's too much pressure on deposit rates going up. And he says that a lot of these banks, which is true, have long-term loans, such as mortgages, locked in for several decades. He's also worried about regulation, where in July, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency jointly unveiled a plan to raise the amount of capital banks must hold. Now, he will say he's more optimistic on other parts of the economy, such as infrastructure. He does think that there's going to be a long-term secular tailwind. And broadly, I agree with him on all of this. But I want to add is you have to be – you don't want to paint the entire industry with one broad brush because the large banks are very different than the small banks. For example – in the latest earnings reports from these small, medium-sized banks, you saw many of them have double-digit profit declines from a year earlier. KeyCorp, for example, down 44% year-over-year. Citizens Financial, 32%. Truist Financial, 28%. And many of them are saying that they're going to become smaller. They're shrinking. They're either laying off people or they're selling off parts of their loan book in order to shore up their capital, trim their costs. Whereas the large banks, they're more diversified, right? They have trading, they have investment banking, they have wealth management. Most of these small banks do not. And what you're already seeing are companies selling themselves, consolidation. There were 34 bank deals announced in the third quarter with a collective value of nearly $3 billion. In the first and second quarter combined, that was $630 million. Now, these banks are still making money. They're not losing money. But their margins are shrinking considerably. And they just can't afford to be small. They need scale. Now, the average rate of many of the regional banks that they pay on deposits rose to around 2% or higher in the third quarter. A year earlier, it was next to nothing. Interest expense jumped roughly 300% year over year at U.S. Bank, PNC, Truist, and Key Corp. 
And then you get on top of that, many of these smaller banks have commercial real estate exposure, office buildings, for example. And then the full effect of rate increases still hasn't been felt on the credit side of things for the most part, right? On the broader economy. So that's, there's multiple issues on this front. And what I said before is you're going to see more and more consolidation, but not consolidation from strength, but consolidation from weakness. So think of financial industry exposure, mainly non-bank financials, insurance companies, brokerage companies, those that manage or make money from transactions, right? Payment processors, those type of names. So I think that was a good overview of what's happening within that particular slice of the market. Now, that story was intended to get you up to speed about broader financial news in general and the financial services industry trends, including the banking sector overview, which we just did. So tell your friends about InvestStock and let us know how we covered that material. All right. On the next InvestStock, we will look in a story set up by this question. What happens if the sovereign debt bubble bursts? To understand what's happening, you begin by looking back to the global financial crisis of 08 and 09 when the quantitative easing was first widely deployed. That's tomorrow. Big episode tomorrow. I really am excited about this episode. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. Let's say... You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. 
This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. Hello, Invest Talk. Long time listener here. I really love your guys' show. Recently, I've started watching the Invest Talk Classroom as well, which is actually the inspiration for this question. It's about options trading. And in the short, you guys discuss how hitting singles in the long term would be better than hitting it big as far as the strategy goes. And so I've done some research and have set up a paper trading account with my brokerage and have started buying some puts on AT&T and some regional banks. Um, and I've also tried to practice the covered call strategy on SPY. Um, again, just to get experience. I, I plan on doing this for a while, but wanted to see that, you know, if this strategy is, you know, what you guys are referring to when you say hitting singles, something simple. I know there's, it seems like quite a bit other option strategies out there. And um, I wanted to see if this is simple and effective or if I should expand upon you know, some of the options trading strategies that are out there. I figured that, you know, if they do decide to cut rates, perhaps even purchasing or buying calls, you know, transitioning to that strategy could be better at a time where they're making cuts to rates. So again, just three simple strategies. Are those sufficient or you know, should I expand upon other options? Uh, just looking forward to your answer on the podcast. Uh, hopefully this question makes sense, but um, I will definitely listen in as always. Thanks. Bye. Well, when we refer to hitting singles and doubles, uh, it's more about selling options. Now, covered call is similar to that, right? You own the underlying and you're selling a call option typically out of the money and you're earning some sort of yield on that. Uh, and, you know, we run a cover, we run a covered call strategy for clients and we typically roll them out uh, anywhere from 30 to 60 days uh, from current day. Uh, so, for example, we're beginning to think start rolling uh, November expiration out to December, um, even though there is still a few weeks, a couple weeks left until uh, November expiration. It, that's what we're trying to to do opportunistically. And the reason we do that is because there's time decay that you're capturing when you're selling short dated options, and long term that's very effective. But it takes work, right? Because you. You're not just setting it, forgetting it. You're 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 managing it, etc. So, when I think of singles and doubles, I think of strategies like cover calls, cash secured puts, uh, iron condors are another another one uh, to look at, where you're, you're mainly getting credits for selling to option buyers, and because the most most option buyers. They lose the vast majority of the time. Now, when you buy options, you are typically going for more like home runs and sometimes grand slams, especially if you're buying short-dated options. Uh, the current DT, zero DTE options on the S&P, for example, uh, a good example of that. People just buying these options that <clears throat> literally expire at the end of the day and trying to play a move in markets, a major move. And, you know, you can turn 
options that are worth pennies into options that are worth dozens of pennies, and that can be a huge return. But that's very few and far between, and the vast, it's kind of like gambling, right? You can, or I think of it more like hitting a parlay, right? If you ever gamble, you could hit one game, maybe you go on a streak of two or three. Now, if you parlay a bunch of them together, you can turn a $10 bet into thousands and thousands of dollars. But if you know anyone that tries to bet parlays, they're very rarely hit. And the vast majority of the time, you know, you bet five games on a parlay, four of them are going to hit and one won't. And doesn't matter about the four. You lost one. So that's what option trading really is. It's trying to hit that home run. Or sorry, option buying. Uh, so I like that you're paper trading though. You're thinking about testing your your strategy instead of just going in all at once without any expertise, without any discipline, and you're trying to hone in on what works for you. Now, you'll never really know until you actually put the money in, but at least paper trading is a much better start than just going in blindly. So hope that helps. Now, from time to time, we receive InvestTalk questions via email. And this one was from Steve in Minnesota. It says, Qualcomm is my only tech position, 3.9% of my portfolio, and only mega cap. I'm considering taking my loss, replacing a smaller mid-cap tech company. I'm considering VSH or P-Lab. And VSH got a thumbs up last week. Now I'm leaning towards Skyworks. Never seen comparables. Objectively, Skyworks has higher-end proprietary IP products. So I have two questions. Does one full position seem like enough tech sector exposure in the market? And do you agree Skyworks seems a good tech name for that one position? Well, I would answer is no. I, I mean, unless it's a very small percentage of your portfolio. You know, for example, in most of our strategies, we have small position in utilities, 1%. And then one position is fine, right? <clears throat> but if you have, say, a four or five position in a particular sector, percent position, you probably should split that up between maybe two. You expand that out to 9 or 10%, that should probably be like three or four different positions. So I don't think you need to <clears> – I think 3.9 is pretty low. Even though tech is my favorite place, I still think there are opportunities there. Now, we own Skyworks for our managed accounts, and we like it. Now, like you said, they have a lot of very good proprietary IP, and their chips are going to go continue to go into everything uh, in 5G deployment and just – pretty much everything in the wireless industry. <clears throat> so I like both Qualcomm and, and Skyworks, but if I'm going to pick one or the other, Skyworks would be above it. Now, the second question is, how would you use RSI to help pick up a buy point? Technically, Skyworks chart is nosediving. Well, it is near support. I will say that. <clears throat> um, and you wouldn't use relative strength for a buy point. No, that's just giving you an understanding of what kind of strength it has as of late. Buy points are more support and resistance. And in this case, support, right? So you want to look at <clears throat> it that in that way. Uh, trend line support, maybe a Fibonacci re uh, retracement support. Maybe it's a previous area where the stock bottom, that can be uh, you know, a double bottom type situation. 
all of that can mean a a support level. But RSI is not something you would use to tell you, oh, this is the right time to buy. Now, it can give you an indication of improvement in strength. That's true. But I can pretty much tell that based on pattern and the direction of the moving averages as well. All right. Let's talk a bit about I-bonds. I-bonds. Now, today, the Treasury Department updated the yield for November through April. And it's going to be 5.27% for new purchases of I-bonds. Now, the previous six months, it was 4.3%. So a nice nearly 1% bump in that rate. So I-bonds are recalculated every six months based on the previous six-month inflation trends. Now, the all-time high was 9.62% last May. So not quite as nice, but still five and a quarter is pretty good. Now, I-bonds have two components. They have the variable rate and the fixed rate. And this is very important because if you're ever going to buy I-bonds, you need to know what that fixed rate is. Because those that chased that high return last May, 9.62%, guess what their fixed rate was? Zero. So it was all reliant on that variable rate that was pegged to inflation. And guess what? Inflation is variable. That's why they call it the variable rate. So if you buy a new I-bond, you're going to get that 5.27% annualized. But if you bought that old May one from last year, 9.62%, you're actually only getting 3.94%, which is the inflation portion of the next six months. The fixed portion is only 1.3%, which is good, right? Better than a lot of the I-bonds and, and the fixed rate that you, you typically get. But what I will say is if you compare that to tips right now, the real yield on tips is nearly 100 basis points higher, about 2.3%. So for all the yield chasing that people were doing last May, it's pretty clear that you probably want to sell those now. If you, if you chase those yields, you should probably sell them. You're a year out. You should probably go buy those tips, shorter-term tips, and you're going to be very liquid. So... Yeah, I would go uh, with that, and I wanted to highlight that because so many people chased that last year, and, uh, and it's really understanding, uh, really important to understand those different components so that you don't get locked in to variable rate securities that have a 0% fixed return. You want something that's going to give you positive real returns, right? Because that's the point here is keeping you earning something, and it's adjusting with inflation. But you want you don't want just... Inflation rate returns, you want positive real returns. And the current I-bonds give you a positive 1.3% return going forward. But treasury or tips right now, about 2.3. All right, let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Investock Voice Bank. It never closes. It's 888-99 chart. Hey, Stephen Justin, Bill from Philadelphia here. I'm calling about generic holdings, ticker symbol GNRC. It's had Kind of a big pullback here, and uh, 
I've been interested in it for some time now. Uh, they deal with um, generators uh, to power the home and stuff like that. And up here in the Northeast, you know, we, we definitely have a lot of uh, snow and, and rain and stuff like that that is, is useful. So um, I'm interested to get your thoughts here. It's pulled back to uh, about 82 uh, now and uh, it's high like everything else in the uh, 2021. Uh, was close to uh, a little over 500. So um, just want to see if this would be a, a good time or if I should keep holding to uh, do so because of this downturn. I uh, love what you guys do and looking forward to hearing the response. Thank you. All right. This is Generac Holdings. They manufacture standby power generation generators, components for residential oil and gas and industrial com- and commercial markets. They have a little bit dead in their balance sheet, so that's a bit of a worry. But the stock is down from a peak of 500 at the end of 2021. Now we're at 96. So we're down 80%. We were down more than that uh, before this earnings announcement. And we were right around $80. So this earnings announcement, the market liked. It was up 14% today. And that certainly helped the technicals. But it's still in a downtrend. Now, last quarter, revenues were down 2% year-over-year. Earnings were down 6%. But that's much better than the previous quarter when revenue was down 23% and earnings were down 62%. So this year, earnings are expected to retrace 36% to $5.30 per share. Pre-pandemic, they're making $5.06. So you have kind of a round trip in earnings. And you also have a round trip in the stock. The stock pre-pandemic was trading right around these areas, right around $100 per share. Now, they've taken that cash flow, that big earnings that they that they made uh, during the pandemic, and what worries me is that what did they do with it? They added more debt in their balance sheet. Why is that? They had a cash flow boom, and now it's crashed to roughly flat from $558 million trailing 12 months in the middle of 2021. So they were crushing it. And now that's all come back down to earth. And I want to know why. Why son, Why did your debt go up? You should have paid off all that debt. So I worry about the management's allocation of capital here and being able to take that, that boom time and do what's right by the shareholders. Not by taking on more debt, but maybe paying out a dividend. Maybe buying back shares, which they did a little bit, but not at the right time or to the level you'd want to see. So that worries me. And the technicals, while improved after today, nice 14% jump, they're still in a very strong downtrend. So I need to break the 50-day moving average, which is up around 105 for the technicals to get, to get me excited about. Until then, I'm passing on Generac. Right, let's, take, let's go to Paul in Palm Desert. wants to talk about Chevron. Hi, uh, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have I have a, a position already in Chevron and uh, long term position. I was looking to adding to that uh, position now that Chevron's taken kind of a, a haircut here in the short term. I just wanted to get your take on where you think Chevron is and and what the what the outlook is. Yeah, you know this is a good example of how it's probably better longer term to own. Uh, if if you're bullish on oil price, to own the EMP companies because Chevron has hit on the refining business. Now, I do think that's more of a short-term issue. They'll come back. And so I, I would say this is an opportunity if you want a diversified oil name. But I'd rather own an EMP. 
But if you want diversity in the business, this is a good buy point. All right, moving into a break. This is Invest Talk at 888 chart Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. One of the things that I was thinking about doing was just going straight down the line and you know, selling, say, 5% of every holding that I have. I do have a little over 40 different positions in a range of categories. I'm moving more towards, obviously, the big, safe, blue-chip companies. But my question is specifically, if I were to take this strategy, if you think this is a decent strategy in the next, let's say, couple of weeks or months, would you just go straight down the line? And or what companies would you keep? What types of companies would you not sell. In other words, should I keep some of my gold mining positions? Should I keep my position in Apple, which I just fundamentally bought and decided to hold for the long term? Anyway, that's kind of where I'm going. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Well, I definitely wouldn't go just straight down the line and sell 5% of everything. That, that's just a willy-nilly lack of a plan. You're just chopping everything off for no reason. You want to have reasons. And the companies want to keep, uh, I think there's two, two main categories. Companies that will benefit from a, an inflationary environment, from a geopolitical environment that is more volatile. And an and a environment where governments are spending a lot of money, have terrible debt situations, and are going to have to probably monetize that debt. And so harder assets in general. But everyone's kind of overvalued, I think, IP, right? digits in the sky versus hard assets in the ground. So think of it that way. That doesn't mean you go and sell Apple because we like Apple. I think there still, you still have to have room for the digits in the sky, the very, very strong businesses that are going to thrive no matter what. And I think Apple's a good example of that. And then the second category are companies that have bad balance sheets, have a lot of debt, and they don't have the cash flow to sustain that debt. If you have those in your portfolio, then you need to get rid of those. Those would be on the chopping block first. And they're not always the smaller ones. Sometimes the smaller ones have good balance sheets. Sometimes the larger ones don't. So you don't want to think of it that way as well. You have to do your research. All right, lastly, let's talk about the U.S. Treasury Department. We talked on Monday how they made plans for the fourth and the first quarter, but now it's about what. What parts of the curve are they going to issue at? And how is that going to impact interest rates? And basically, they're going to slow the increase of those longer dated securities. 
and treasury yields fell on this. And so they're going to pretty much cut their growth in selling 10-year and 30-year notes from $3 billion down to $2 billion on the 10-year and from $2 billion down to $1 billion on the 30-year. And they're going to increase the size of their auctions on what we call the belly of the curve. Three-year, seven-year, two-year, five-year notes. Kind of that short to intermediate term part of the, the, the curve. And so you might continue to see the yield curve steepen. But once again, more on the belly of the curve. And they're also going to issue more tips. They'll give you opportunities to maybe buy some tips. Maybe the real yield will go up. I think that's certainly possible. Well, it is continuing to rise as the Fed steps out, steps away, owns less tips, and uh, does more QT. So I think there are some opportunities there. They're increasing those issuances by about a billion dollars each, over each per month for the next six months. So. Uh, good thing is, didn't spook the market. Yields actually fell overall on this news. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and, re- and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.